All right, Ontario reporting under 200 new COVID cases again today. 173 is the number. Meanwhile, Canada as a whole hitting a significant milestone, passing the 100,000 case mark. 640 Toronto medical expert Dr. Brett Belchitz is online. He joins us now for more here on Global News Radio. Dr. Belchitz, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Lots of questions surrounding this number, this 100,000 number. Just how accurate is that? That's a really actually very important question to be asking, and I think it's one that many uh, people in the community as well as health experts are asking as well. And the reason why people are asking this question is what that number reflects is the number of positive tests that have come back for COVID-19. And there is certainly a, a large amount of suspicion out there, both amongst those in the community and in the medical profession, that there are a large number of people out there who at some point in time probably were infected with COVID-19 who were never infected. And there generally is a feeling that these official numbers tend to undercount the number of positive cases. The, the, the really important question really is not whether or not this, this number is accurate, because I think we all agree that it can't be completely accurate. But the bigger question is, to what scale is it inaccurate? You know, if the real number is 120,000 and we're saying it's 100,000, that really doesn't change very much how we perceive this illness. If the real number is a million positive tests and we've only identified 100,000, that's something very different. So we're hoping that it's closer to the former versus the latter. Okay, so what, if anything, does 100,000 cases, what does that milestone tell us? Well, it, it certainly tells us that we have had quite broad penetration into our communities across this country. In a population of 35 million people, 100,000 people, 100,000 people with positive cases starts to represent not a huge percentage of our population, but certainly a meaningful percentage of people across the country that have been infected. That being said, I think what is far more important than the absolute number of cases at this point in time is really the direction that we are going in terms of cases. And I think what is far more important is the fact that case numbers are going down Many communities have actually uh, pretty much exterminated this as an entity. There are many communities across Canada that have had no new cases for quite prolonged periods of time. So rather than focusing on the absolute number, which I think was inevitable that we would get to a number this large, it's very important to note that we are going in what seems to be a very positive direction here. Okay, so what do we need to key on moving forward? Is it just watching for communities and hot spots, numbers spiking or going up in the so-called second wave? I think we really have to be incredibly vigilant. So we have to be taking precautions to stop this from spreading rapidly if there are new infections that come out. So that means continuing with smart social distancing where possible, mask use in confined spaces in public. I also think that what we need to have is readily available testing and contact tracing so that anybody who suspects that they are symptomatic, so anybody who has a cough, runny nose, fever, any of those symptoms that we think, wow, is this cold, a cold or is it COVID-19, those people can immediately get a test and we can immediately start to track all of their contacts. Thereby, if we do have new outbreaks, and I really do think it's inevitable that there will be new hotspots that will emerge, we can quickly shut down those hotspots so it does not turn into a full-out second wave. Joined on the line by Dr. Brett Belchetz. Meantime, doctor, some significant news from the World Health Organization earlier today. Uh, first, they say that they don't believe that the coronavirus mutates, that it's mutating. Why is that significant? That's incredibly important. One of the, the big questions we've had about this virus is whether or not it is something that is going to stay stable over time. And, and the reason why that is so important is as viruses mutate, 
their appearance changes to our immune system and, and their level of infectiousness and their level of potentially deadliness changes as well. But what is most important about that is the appearance that they create to our immune system. And, and the reason why that is important is vaccines work, and we are very far into trying to develop a vaccine for COVID-19. There's, there's dozens of efforts around the world, but vaccines work by allowing our immune system to get a glimpse of what a virus looks like without us actually getting infected by that virus. And once our immune systems have had a glimpse of a virus, then what they do is they start manufacturing antibodies to attack anything that looks similar to what it's already seen. And the problem that we face when a, a virus starts to mutate is that it no longer looks anymore like what our immune system has been primed to fight. And so the end result of all of that is if the virus mutates significantly, we could spend years developing a vaccine that will no longer be effective because the virus just looks different now to our body than what we built the vaccine based on. All right. So it makes finding getting a vaccine, it makes that job at least a little easier. I think certainly a little easier is the right way to look at it. Developing a new vaccine, even for a virus that doesn't mutate, can take a very, very long amount of time. If we look at the fact that we've tried to develop vaccines over the years for many viruses that we face, some of them have been successful, and those ones that were successful often took decades to develop, and many of them still are unsuccessful. We still do not have a vaccine for HIV, for instance. So uh, I think this is a very, very difficult task, but certainly the absence of mutation uh, takes away at least one factor that would take it from somewhat difficult or quite difficult to extraordinarily difficult and something that we might never be successful with. All right. Speaking of vaccines, the World Health Organization also announcing that they are, quote unquote, hopeful that there will be two billion doses of a COVID vaccine by the end of next year. That has to be encouraging news, Brett. It is encouraging. It, you know, what they're speaking to, I think, more than anything else, is the manufacturing capacity around the world to develop vaccines if we land on one that actually works. And one of the biggest concerns has been around if we do tend to or if we are able to develop a vaccine that is effective against COVID-19, how will we be able to scale up production of that such that we can get doses out to everybody in the world that needs it? And there were many uh, in the community, uh, in the medical community, and in public policy circles that really doubted that we could effectively pump out the numbers of doses that were needed in an effective manner that it could be distributed around the world. So uh, speaking to that capacity and the statement that we could potentially make that many doses if we were to land on vaccines that worked in that amount of time really does, uh, it is cause for a lot of hope that we will be able to respond very quickly and at a mass scale once we have the appropriately working vaccine to potentially really shut this down for good. Yes, as you say, good news, hopeful. It's great that we can make it. We just need the recipe now. We need to figure out what vaccine works. Dr. Brett Belchett, appreciate the time as always. Thanks, doctor. My pleasure. You take care.